Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the Everything Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Lance Caparossi, and I'm with Bryce, the lanky sharpshooter out of Kansas. You can check out Everything Hoops on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment, rate our show, subscribe, and more importantly, tell a hoop fan. And on today's episode of Everything Hoops, we have special guest Derek Mercer. He played at American. If you're a real hoop fan, you know exactly who this is. If you're not a hoop fan, you're going to learn something about him today. But let's get into this. Derek, how you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you for coming on. Bryce has talked you up quite a bit. And I've actually shared information about you that Bryce did not know. So I Hold up. Just so people know, Derek Mercer won me two Patriot League championships. Whenever I talk about playing in the NCAA tournament, it's because of Derek Mercer. So don't act like I don't give this guy plenty of love. I didn't remember from 10 years ago that he got drafted by the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, like th that's my bad. But, like, th don't, don't act like we talk almost every single day in the group chat. So Lance trying to call me out. But Mercer – I experienced a lot of things in college basketball because Mercer was so good. So. No, I, I had, that's, Oh, go on my bad. I had a lot of help. It wasn't only just me, but yeah. thank you, Bryce. Garrison Carr, Brian Gilmore, like, Brian would be salty if I didn't mention him. Jordan's going to be salty now. Like I, I hope these dudes listen to it. I can't wait for the group chat to blow <laughs> up for, after this. Also. Can't forget about Steve Love Tech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also on this show, egos are welcome. Whatever got you to that level, you need to bring that person out on this show. But let's get into this. At the beginning of every Everything Hoops podcast, we call this the deep three. It is the biggest headlines in basketball. Now, they, they're not just NBA topics. They are Everything Hoops topics because we literally mean Everything Hoops. We're connected to it all. So this first topic, it's about high school hoops, powerhouses, forming an elite national league. Derek, I'm going to let you start this topic off because this is perfect for you because you played for a high school powerhouse in New Jersey. But let's get this started. Derek, what were your first initial thoughts about this topic when we mentioned it to you? Um, I thought it was actually, it's going in the right direction. Um, I th think um, now certain levels, I know in New Jersey where some schools can recruit basically bring kids in from a certain area and other schools are restricted from having kids in certain areas you got to live in a certain type of location in order to attend that school but um you know there's schools like the patrick school um i'm currently at hudson catholic um another top program in new jersey 
um, St. Benedict's. Like we're able and capable of getting guys out of the city that we are located in, but we're playing against teams, public schools that restricted to get guys out of other cities. They got to stay within. So my school is in Jersey City. So we can get a kid from like Trenton or Camden or Hillside, as opposed to a school like Dickinson, a small public school in Jersey City, where they have to like share Jersey City with four to five other programs, high schools. And it's just, it helps us, it helps us play with more competition and it keeps us, you know, uh, facing guys that's on our level. I mean, right now they're not, Right now, they're, they're starting small with the top national programs, but eventually I would like to see them branch out and possibly give our program a look and, you know, because I think it's really good. You know, I, I think it's good for us. So you're all on board with a Super League for high school basketball players? Yeah, because, you know, um, like I said, we, we're one of the top programs in the state of New Jersey, and we play against these small schools. And I remember when we had um, Javon Quinterly, Lewis King, and Luther Muhammad, which, you know, were three top players in the state of New Jersey and you know, nationally. Um, we used to beat teams by like 50 or 60 points. And that it was just like, it was hard for co coaches to like mentally get these guys prepared because they know that they're gonna go out on a bad night and win by 60. And we were trying not to score 100 points. And it was just it was just a lot. But I felt like this right here is the right step in the direction. Bryce, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, Derek, good point. I have a feeling, Lance, that you're going to go a different way than us. But at the end of the day, this is already happening. Like, this is like what Mercer said. Like, this happens even in Kansas. Like, Sunrise Christian is in Wichita. This is one of the schools that's going to go be a part of this. And they can't play in Keisha. Kansas State High School Athletic Association, whatever it is, they can't play and win a state championship anyway. So they might as well form a league and go play the right competition because, you know, all those other schools in Wichita, they probably do it, but they're not supposed to recruit. Like it's a restriction. If you switch high schools without moving in Kansas, you have to sit for 12 months to, to, to try to keep this, you know, recruiting and transferring and all of that. So Merce is right. It's, it's the right direction. These kids are going to do it. They, so you're not going to stop it. So you might as well create a league where they're all playing against each other and you can play against the right competition for these high level athletes. This is, but this wasn't. Go, go, do, do it. Lance. No, I'm just saying like, this wasn't, this isn't like the, when I always thought of high school basketball, I didn't think of like elite leagues. And I know a lot of guys coming up through the years, they didn't need to be a part of this. They were able to play AU, go to different camps, and that's when they were able to get the right competition. Like, do you always need the right competition? Like, I mean, for me, high school basketball, this is just going – this is almost like a pro league, essentially. You know, like these are the elite of the elite. Like, I love high school basketball because that's what it was. It was just high school basketball. I don't I, – I guess I don't agree with an elite league being formed and taking guys – out of that pool. I, but I mean, you guys both make fair points. Like that does, you know, like now, you know, you're not playing up to the competition and everything, but I don't know. It's just not high school basketball to me. This yeah. So you, you miss the nostalgia, like what high school basketball means and the yes, people in the stands yes. and all that. That's not going to go away though, Lance. Like all your, your, like all those people are still going to come to their games and all of that. Like 
you're just giving the best players a chance to go and do what they want to do now. And like, I, I agree with you to an extent, like I understand what you're saying. I get it, but like, it's going to happen no matter what. Cause that's what these kids are doing. I don't think you're going to lose that though. You're just going to lose a little bit of the talent, but it's going to give some other kids a chance to play. Like maybe it allows another kid a chance to be on a varsity team at a big school, you know, um, that he wouldn't have otherwise because the best player at that school went to, you know, Merce's school, you know, so now he gets a chance, you know, somebody else gets a chance. Yeah. The other part was though, you remember when like Sebastian Telfair was drafted, there was this article written, I think it was like sports illustrated and one part that stood out to me was Sebastian Delfair. He wanted to go to Abraham Lincoln high school because his cousin, Stefan Marbury went there and he was like, man, I want to break that scoring record. I want to be number one. I want to be above Stefan Marbury. Then Lance Stevenson, a couple of years later, he came out and he said, I'm going to Abraham Lincoln because I want to beat um, Sebastian Telfair's. That's the part that I think we're going to be missing. If too many teams or too many players opt out or opt in for an elite league. We're going to be missing that part. There's something about seeing that someone's name on a list and you're like, okay, I can really, I can really get above those guys. Like I can break that record. And I feel like you're going to miss those small little parts of high school basketball. If there is an elite league. Well, what, what would you do, Merce? And maybe St. Ant was St. Anthony's is probably a private school, right? So they would have been able, they would have opted into this, but you know, what was your experience? What would your experience like go to St. Anthony's and play there or go like play for like this overtime elite program? What would you have done? Cause you were a high, you were a big time high school player. Well, I would have stayed at St. Anthony's one because, you know, I had, I had the greatest coach ever. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. he, he's going to, he's going to prepare you for the next level. And see the one thing I am is like our schedule was like a nationally ranked schedule. So we weren't, he took us out of, the county so we were we weren't playing like the small county school teams because we were we would be winning by 50 or 60 points so he would give he would give one school uh, opportunity to play against us in the county and then the rest of our schedule we're playing like all the top teams in the state and we're traveling to play prep schools and other top schools nationally so i think you know i would have stayed at st anthony's without a doubt or it's not even a question. Yeah, but you got the experience, though, of a powerhouse without having to leave. You know, you didn't have to pack up and take anything away. This was like, I mean, how close did you live to St. Anthony's? Um, well, I used to get on a public bus, so it would take about 30 minutes. But oh, okay. In the car, it's about 15 minutes. I got you. I got you. So, but I mean, still kind of like right in your, you know, your neck of the woods. You know, it wasn't like yeah, you had to pack absolutely. up and go anywhere else. I guess I was unfamiliar with the national schedule you guys played as well. Man, that's something else, though, man, to be a part of, like, an elite program like that where you're not even playing guys that you could see at the mall or something. You no, know, that's yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. I get that. Uh, to Bryce, your point, yeah, that, that, that's what Sunrise Christian does here in Wichita, Kansas, is, like, they recruit guys from all over the country, you know? Like, it's not just Wichita kids or Kansas kids. They're bringing in guys. So, to your point, yeah, you're going to start You're going to start taking players. You know, if, if Derek Mercer in Jersey City is at a public school, maybe he was, wouldn't have been at St. Anthony's, well, Sunrise Christian's going to go find that kid and try to get him to move out to, to Wichita, Kansas. Okay, I don't know if Mercer's ever been to Kansas or not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that might not have worked, but that's what they're going to try to do. So, to your point, it does kind of it's almost a they're pretty much college programs, you know, like that's essentially what it's turning into. So 
My other thing and, is, like, when does it end, you know? <laughs> but I, I will say this, and I heard that you brought up, like, the AAU and they get to play against them during that time of year. But, you know, I, I'm not a real big AAU guy. And um, I just think it's, like, up and down open gym basketball. And I think with the high school basketball, is more strategy and, and guys are really locked in on playing defense. And I would like to see a high level of competition where they're not just going up and down and they're 500 dribbles. They're actually running sets, you know, is there some type of strategy going on? And I think that's the difference between AAU basketball and high school basketball. And I think that'd be good because now these college coaches, they're going to see, really, really see, what type of player they are getting when they're recruiting them. You know, they're going to see their body language. They're going to see how they respond to adversity, um, how their leadership, how good are they are when things are going good, how good are they are when things are going bad. And I think a lot of that comes with, you know, high school basketball. But couldn't you just get, like, couldn't you change? I mean, it'd probably be tough to change AAU, the AAU landscape, but couldn't you put, like, elite AAU teams together than have elite AAU teams form a league instead of doing it in high school. But Mercer's right. AAU is glorified pickup, you know, like that's what, like it, it's completely different, you know, like the, the, I don't hate to call this out, but like, I feel like the coaching is different. The, you know, it, it's just, it's the whole, the whole idea behind it is different. And here's the other thing. You can't strategize for an AAU tournament because you're playing what three games in a day. So you're not going to go sit down and watch mm -hmm. film for your next opponent. You're not going to be able to do a scouting report. Your legs are tired. Like, how can you ask those guys to do those things at times whenever they're playing three games in a day, seven games in a weekend? It's hard to get, you know, take a charge, dive on the floor, all that stuff. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but it's it's harder. So the whole the whole environment around it doesn't lend itself to all those things that Derek just brought up. Yeah, but that, that's why you got to change the uh, landscape of AAU. You know, but you can't, you can't, because you can't have it. You can't bring a team for a whole week and play one game a day. I mean, it's there's a lot of money involved with AAU too. Like. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know, mm -hmm. I know, I get it. Still, I would like just back to want to reiterate my point. I love <laughs> high school. I love high school basketball. I don't, and I said on the last podcast, I hate change. I love that Sebastian Telfair that wanted to go to Abraham Lincoln to break the scoring record held by his cousin. I just love that. And I feel like you're not going to get that with an elite program. I mean, I see the pros to it, but the con to me is this, that uh, we're not going to get traditional high school basketball. There's just something about just, you know, you're going to your local school. You're like, I want to put these guys on the map. I want to win a state championship for this team that I'm going to. This is the local school. I saw other guys come up through this program. I want to wear the jersey just like they did. And I feel like you're going to be missing those little parts of having an elite program. But That's to your guys' point, I get it. You know, even though I wouldn't mind blowing people out by like 60 points, I don't care if I no, get confidence. Yo, Lance, it's Merce, you tell it's not fun, Lance. And it's even worse as a coach. Yeah. As a player, you get subbed out, you don't get to play the fourth quarter. But Merce, tell as a coach, it may be the worst possible thing when you're blowing somebody out like that. It's terrible because honestly, you cannot like guys are sleeping before the game and they're just like sluggish in the warm-up. And then next thing you know, we're up 30 at halftime. And it's like, how are we getting these guys right for the next level? because you're not going to be doing that when you go to a high D1 program. Like, they, the, the kids that we had, they, they, they know that 
you know, we're going to buy X amount of points. Like, we don't have to bring it. It's just, it's hard to get them on board. It's definitely Absolutely. a lot. Do you think adding a shot clock would change that at all? In, in New Jersey, we definitely need a shot clock. Absolutely. I mean, because it's a shot clock when you go to the next level it's a shot clock yeah pro level so like literally um like one time we played a team and they they were literally just hold a ball out for like three minutes and we're like okay now we gotta just like start trapping them and stuff and it's just like it, it it's not, not it's not the right way to play basketball that's like, true i think new jersey need, needs a shot clock i think the, the National Federation passed it, I think. So I think now it goes down to each state. I, I think in 10 years, you're going to see a shot clock in most states. You know, it's, it's going to take a little bit to get all the logistics of everything because you add another person at the scores table. Small schools like where I'm at, you know, there, there, there's monetary issues, you know, with it. But getting it in all the gyms and everything else. But I think over the next 10 years, you're going to see it in a lot of high school gyms. I say bring it along slowly. I know we talked about this before, Bryce, but yeah. just like maybe like the final three minutes of a quarter institute a shot clock so people can't hold the ball like that. Or so. Oh, but I mean, I would like to see a shot clock all the way throughout the game in basketball, even at the high school level. I think that just makes makes you more precise when you're running the offense, I believe. Yeah, you know, and you only absolutely. have so much time. Those cuts become a little tighter and those screens become a little bit, you know, you, know, you got to rub off a little closer with your guy to get open. But anyways, let's move on. Jay Cole's presence at the BAL is supposedly disrespectful to the game. Former Maryland guard Terrell Stoglin, hopefully I'm saying his last name correctly, opens up to ESPN about Jay Cole taking a roster spot from a more deserving player. He said it was disrespectful to the guys who lost their jobs due to COVID. It was disrespectful to the guys who have been working their whole lives for a spot and that it was disrespectful to the game of basketball because Jay Cole, who averaged one point per game and I think three games was being praised. What are your thoughts? Is it disrespectful of Jay Cole to take a roster spot or disrespectful to the team to offer Real a quick, roster Lance, because you say I'm so humble, and since my mic was cutting in and out last episode, yeah. and then we have Mercy. Where did you say that player was from? Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody knows that, that, that Derek and I beat Maryland. I, I just, I just <laughs> want to make sure everybody knows, okay? So we, we knocked Maryland off. Yeah, I don't know if he was on the team or not. I know Grievous Vasquez was, and, and we knocked him off at Maryland. So I just – you know, there's my humble side coming out that you always talk about. I just wanted to make sure we got it on with my speaker working, hopefully, this episode. So that's that's right, the wanted, ego. That's awesome. That's there's not yeah, there's an ego. Trust me. You said it earlier. If if you play at very high level, you gotta have one. So I'll I'll let Derek take the, the, the actual story. But yeah, real quick before we get into this, like do, when you play against a guy like Gravis Vasquez, like is there just something that like another light comes on inside of you like man i gotta bust this dude's ass is there a, like does that happen at all or you just think it's another well, game mercer played against big time guys all the way through high school and you know he was a much bigger star through his whole career but even you know coming out of high school so honestly you know what's funny the i didn't grievous vasquez wasn't grievous vasquez like the name whenever we played him like uh, you know super big but i remember us not clowning him but he annoyed the shit out of us whenever we were watching scout film. Do you, I don't know if you remember this, Merce, but like he was playing to the crowd, popping his jersey, doing all that stuff. And I just remember getting in scout in scout film and like, 
this dude is annoying as hell, man. Like, it, it, I, I remember that specifically about him. After every made basket, made shot, he would do something. Pop is hilarious. And I was just <laughs> like, man, we got to get at this guy. But, like, so for Derek, though, I mean, does that come – like, does another light turn on for you when you – see these guys were you ever looking at a list and be like i gotta beat these guys to get ahead of them or does that is that something that doesn't exist yes absolutely um because you know they're on the nba's radar and you know that if that's where eventually you want to be at you want to show that you can hang with those type of guys you know i, I remember we were playing villanova uh in the tournament and days leading up all i thought about was scotty reynolds because scotty reynolds was one of the best guards in the nation at that time and i'm like all right well here's my shot i'm gonna be on <laughs> national tv on the big stage and i'm going against an nba guard i'm gonna have to show up and it's like leading up to it it was just on my mind on my mind on my mind and i actually i was talking to andre ingram about it and, and like he was helping me prepare and everything and i was just watching crazy film like watching crazy film on on uh, scotty so Every player that I knew that was going, that was on our schedule, that was going to be in talks with the NBA, I gave them extra focus. No disrespect to the other ones, but with those guys, they were getting extra focus for me. And he balled out against Scotty Reynolds and Villanova Lance, just so you know. Like, dude, I, that's the ego that, that's what I love to hear. I love that you wanted to just, you know, just take people like, oh my God, that's incredible. That is sweet. But anyway, Lance, yes. Lance, this guy, he never walked on the floor. It didn't matter who we were playing, not thinking he was the best player. And, and here's what's important about that is it, uh, Derek can say how important it was to him as a, as a role player that I was, I was just a complimentary piece, you know, whatever, but it gave me confidence and he never missed a game. Uh, he barely sat during games, but if Derek Mercer wasn't on the floor and probably Garrison as well, to an extent, it would have made me nervous, but it gives, he, he's one of those players that gave everybody else confidence because you knew we got Derek on our team and he has our back and he's going to show up like that. That's a huge part of his confidence gave everybody else confidence. People like me who maybe lack confidence at times. I gotcha. I gotcha. By the way, I Scotty Reynolds game. I liked it, but I was really disappointed when he beat Pittsburgh in the tournament on the last second finger roll. I love the Levance field. Sam Young, Dewan Blair teams of Pittsburgh. They were that was my squad. I loved watching those guys play. But let's get back to Jay Cole. Is it disrespectful <laughs> to other basketball players that he had a roster spot? You guys are the Hoopers. I'm just the guy that got the invite to the lounge. Let me hear. I never had a chance to play beyond college, so I'll let you know. Derek had these these opportunities, so I think he he probably has a different perspective than me. So I'll let Derek go first. Absolutely, this. <laughs> It's a lot of players out here who's working hard to get a contract. And they're literally in the gym five hours a day working on their games. And, you know, no disrespect to J. Cole, and I'm a J. Cole fan, but, you know, he has a career already. You know, these guys, this is their career. This is what they live to do. This is, they eat, sleep, basketball. So for him to just, you know, be able to get this opportunity is, is very disrespectful. Um, you know, I have guys that's in Jersey City that's been trying for years to, to get across the water or get just get a, a look. And, you know, he's taking over a spot for someone that's that's working real hard. And, you know, 
Drew City is a small city. So imagine the amount of people here. Imagine about everyone in this country that's just trying to get a spot. And, you know, with the whole COVID thing, a lot of people lost their jobs, lost their their spots over there, and um, they had to come back home. So, like, they're trying to keep themselves in shape, and they're, they're trying to make sure that they're ready for a call. And here's a spot that's open, and it's like, well, we're going to give it to a rapper. Yeah, I didn't believe – I've been following the BAL a little bit, not because of J. Cole, just because I love basketball. But I thought it was interesting when they said, yeah, we had 20, we had 20 roster spots – and we felt like Jay Cole was one of the 13 best players to make the team. And I'm thinking there's no, no way. way he's one of the 13 best players to make a roster spot. But here's my take on this. I don't think it's disrespectful, disrespectful of Jay Cole to knock a spot because I can't knock someone for pursuing their dreams. Like I always wanted to be a professional basketball player. Jay Cole wanted to be a professional basketball player. And if someone offered me a roster spot, I don't care whose spot I'm taking. I just want it because that's my dream. Now, I will say I do believe it is disrespectful of the league and the teams to even offer an invite to him just because there are so many good basketball players that have worked their whole lives to get to that spot and to even get that opportunity, and he gets their opportunity because of the name. But I don't think it's disrespectful of Jay Cole to do it. I just think it's disrespectful of the league and the team to offer it to him, knowing that there are quality basketball players out there that could take the spot and actually make their team better. But Bryce, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are your thoughts on this? No, no, I go with Derek, you know, like I said, like his, his, both of you, you both kind of said the same thing, essentially that was disrespectful of the team and the league. And it, it comes down to all these guys that, that works so hard. And like I said, I think that's where Derek's perspective really hits home. I didn't really get this chance coming out of college because of my injuries and stuff like that. I think if I would have, you know, like you, these things really make sense to you or they hit home with you more whenever you've experienced it, you know, when you were trying to find a spot and find a team and continue your career. And so I, I understand that. Like, I, I can't disagree with anything. Um, that, well, that's been said. So I, I understand the league's perspective, I guess, like, we're talking about their league because of this. So I understand it from like a publicity stunt and recognition. Like I get it as far as that, but it still does suck for whoever that guy was that didn't get a spot. But like, take yourself back. Cause I think it was when DeMar DeRozan was being offered a scholarship at USC, they offered one to little Romeo. And so take yourself to that. Like, I mean, would you feel like you'd be disrespectful of your team to sign an impact player like DeMar DeRozan, but they also had to bring in like a, you know, a rapper like Lil Romeo to, yeah, I'd be you know, pissed. like if I was at American and we did a, like, I'd be pissed. No, like you bring, bring in dudes. Like we yeah. got mad whenever they signed people that weren't good, like actual high school hoopers they signed, but they weren't very good or didn't pan out. Like that pissed us off. You know, like we followed the recruiting classes after we graduated because we went to back to back. So we're like, Oh, they're gonna be able to recruit whoever they want. So if like, we followed those recruiting classes to see how those guys did. So it, it matters. Like even to this day, we talk about the recruiting classes and who's at AU and how they're doing. So like, th that's an important part of our lives. So if they did that right now, I think a lot of us would be upset about that. Like if they just, you know, in the head, Mike Brennan would never do that. Like that's not the dude he is, but <laughs> Could you imagine Merce Brennan bringing yeah. in? <laughs> but I mean, yeah. So to that point, Lance, yes, it would make me mad. It, okay. I would feel like they're dis that's disrespecting the game. 
Okay. Okay. Disrespecting. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. I guess I just got a different take. Cause like, again, like if it was offered to me, I would take it in a heartbeat. You know, I, I would I'm not love mad at Jake. I'm not mad at Jake Cole. Like great for him. Now Merce brings up a good point. Like should Jake Cole be more aware that somebody else, you know, could probably use this spot, even, you know, that maybe they're trying to make a living and now he's taking that spot. I think you, you could make that argument, but for the most part, I'm not mad at J. Cole for it, but I'm yeah. mad at the league and the, or in, in the team. The one thing that does irritate me about this is that I was reading, like, I like J. Cole's music. I think he's a great, he's fantastic in hip hop. I think he's very good, but he released his album like the day of the first game. That's what annoyed me. I'm like, dude, don't do that. Cause there's already going to be people coming for you. There's going to be people that are going to try to make a name just playing against you don't give them more ammunition and you know he did I thought it was I thought it was kind of a slap in the face to basketball players everywhere when he did that I don't think it was disrespectful for him to take the spot because again it is a dream a lot of us want to be there we'd all take it but I did feel like he was disrespectful to everybody when he announced his out al- when he released his album like the day of the game as well. I just thought that was a slap in the face. And that would have been like bulletin board material. Like, oh, I'm just a publicity stunt to you. I'm going to show you something. Yeah, go try to walk back on at St. John's. That's what you're going to need to do. You're not going to come out here and play on this court. I've been working my whole life. I'm going to bust your ass right up and down this court. That's what I would have done. I think I would have done that on the basketball floor. But let's get to some NBA news. The sale of the Timberwolves, it violates partnership. I looked over this and I was telling you guys before we recorded, I had no idea what they were talking about in this article. Like apparently Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, he bought the team in 1994 for $88 million, like right before they drafted Kevin Garnett. He sold it for $1.5 billion, I think. Huge come up for an already rich person. And he told the other investors that bought the team at the time, like, yeah, look, I put it in the contract when they sign it. They can't move the team. They can't bring it to a new city. But apparently that can all be voided by the NBA if they wanted to. Like the NBA could just say, no, screw that. We're going to put this team in Seattle. But what are your thoughts? I'm just going to ask you, if the Timberwolves were moved, what city do you think gets first dibs to have the Timberwolves to host them? Head mercy. Vegas, maybe. Uh, I can see Vegas. I think, I mean, market, they need a high market. So Vegas would probably, you know, the NFL did it. They took uh, the Raiders. So I think Vegas would probably be good. Why not Vegas? But I would say this. I would like because uh, the Nets with the Brooklyn, I would like to come back uh, to New Jersey. Because um, it seemed like with, with New Jersey, we're always attached to New York and, or or Philly. So I would like that if we can get somebody back in North New Jersey in the Prudential Center, that'd be nice. Yeah, I do miss a team in New Jersey as well. I love those Jason Kidd Nets teams. They right? were like, they, they were great, man. They were great, and they got right? rid of it. I think that'd be nice, but I don't think I don't think it's gonna happen. I think no, they just. I, man. Yeah, I'm not trying to like insult New Jersey, but I think they might be at the bottom of the list. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just I don't know. But yeah, they always are associated with New York. You're absolutely right. But Bryce, where do you think uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves get moved? If they do get moved, where do you think they're going? Yeah, I think Seattle probably should have first dibs. And I I would be 
A-Rod you know, started his baseball career in Seattle and A-Rod's obviously part of the ownership group buying this. So, I mean, I, I realize that's a loose connection, but maybe there's a connection there to get them back to Seattle. Um, but I agree with Murph too. I, I could see, especially the way sports gambling is going, I think there's going to be a strong push to put these teams. There's a WNBA team already in Vegas, the Aces. So, I, I mean, there's already a precedent there. It's already moving there. I could see the next NBA team, whether it's expansion or a move, I could see Vegas being at the top of the list. I wish it was Seattle. I see the connection, but I could definitely see it being Vegas. If I had to put odds on it or if I had to bet on a city going, getting a new NBA team, I would put it all on Seattle. I love the idea of Las Vegas, but Seattle is such a hotbed. When I was there two years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, so many people were wearing Sean Kemp and Gary Payton jerseys. They love basketball in Seattle. You know, Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Jamal Crawford, a handful of other players have came from There's Seattle. Far, bro. <laughs> okay, another name hey. I forgot. He was on our LA So the New York Steph Curry led the last year at Davidson. He led the led college, which is three pointers made. Garrison was fourth on that list. Like he he's a shooter. He, he five ten played the two guard, and he shot that thing. So he's from Seattle, and he always reminds us. Oh, okay, so he would really like to have a team in Seattle. I believe it's going to be Seattle that gets a new team. I don't want to see. I don't want to see the Timberwolves in Minnesota. They're kind of like the Lions in a way where they've had superstars, but they've never done anything with the superstars for their. And they should. They, they need to be done. I don't want to see any more Kevin Garnett's, Carl Anthony Towns, Stephon Marbury's. You know, <laughs> long Kevin Loves. I don't want to see them go to Minnesota anymore. It's a. It's where basketball players go to, I feel like, die almost. You know, like they're just stuck in this non-basketball state, and there they are. If I'm insulting anybody that you guys know, then that's whatever. I don't, I don't know anybody from Minnesota. I don't exactly. Think so. so why do they need a team? But um, I want to get into this too. Give me three cities you would like to see an NBA team in. You can't say Las Vegas, and you can't say Seattle. Give me three teams. Well, we already talked about Seattle and Las Vegas. Everybody knows those teams. Well, Mercer said uh, New Jersey, so that counts. I need two more. Well, what do you want me to Technically, all the professional sports teams are in Missouri. They're not even in Kansas. They're in the Missouri side of Kansas City. But I, I do feel like they love pro sports in Kansas City. There's not a big college um, following in the Kansas City area, so I think they could support another pro team so uh, that was my third one I had Seattle Vegas and then I put Kansas City in there just because of um, the, the connection out here so I'll give you my three cities St. Louis Kansas City Louisville and I feel like St. Louis would be great just because there's so much celebrity that came from St. Louis and you'll see guys like Nelly or Jimmy Fallon talk about St. Louis to wear yeah. the uh, Cardinals jerseys Kansas City would be a lot of fun I just feel like with the Chiefs already being there, you could bring another sports team in and they would thrive. Louisville, this is an interesting one because they did have a pro team back in the day in the ABA. They were the Kentucky Colonels. They, along with the Indiana Pacers, never had to change or relocate cities. They had a huge, strong fan base that loved the team. They still own the record. Well, I mean, they're, they're, nobody will ever break it now, but they had 68 wins in one season in Louisville. Louisville needs a professional basketball team. I know you got... Kentucky basketball and that dominates the state but imagine you get a guy coming from Kentucky and he still gets to stay in Louisville he'd be king you know I would love to see a team in Louisville 
But Mercer, what teams do you want? What cities do you want to see have a team in there? You've been all around the country playing basketball. You should know this better than anybody. No, I, I honestly, one, I'm going to say North because <laughs> I really want somebody back in that Prudential Center. That would be nice. Easy commute for me. And then I like the St. Louis and I like the Kansas City. I think that's I think it's really going to be like live. And like you said, with Nelly, with the St. Louis thing, that really I can see that happening. It'd be so much fun. Like, it, I think St. Louis would be wild. I mean, it's it's a pretty nice city in itself. I've been there a few times. I like it. I could see an NBA team being there. Yeah. And they lost their football team, right? So, like, there's maybe a market there. Like, they're craving, you know, probably some professional sports. I know there's not a direct correlation between football and basketball fans, but there's a lot of just sports fans. You know, I, I know all three of us are sports fans. Like, we could sit here and talk an hour about NFL football if we really wanted to. You know, so I could see St. Louis being able to support an NBA team. That's a good one. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that was really good. I mean, you could see, like, St. Louis can get into the football, just get a strong outlet passer, someone streaking <laughs> down, you know, throw some Hail Marys <laughs> to him. Who knows? There's the football connection for you. But real quick, we're going to take a break for some ads, and then we'll be right back. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, now we're back into the Eller portion of the show. We have our guest, Derek Mercer, on. So we got to talk about you just a little bit. I first heard your name in the book, The Miracle at St. Anthony. I have a handful of questions. Hopefully you can answer them, but we'll get into this. You had Adrian Wojnarowski following you around. Before he became Woj, dropping bombs on everybody, what was it like having that guy follow you around school? Um, it was different. You know, uh, just we just kind of had to make sure that we wasn't doing anything too crazy because we know that one, Coach Hurley would kill us, and two, you know, we, we're being watched. You know, um, when you go through like a bad game or you have a bad practice, and then like you're frustrated mentally, you have this guy writing down every single thing and asking you questions, and you. You really don't want to deal with it. It's just like you want to tell a guy, like, listen, not today and all that. But you, it was definitely different, especially, you know, around that time, social media is not, wasn't really as good as it is now. So we wasn't used to having, like, 
someone on us at every second, every minute at practice, school hallways. It was it was different. It was just totally different. So you basically got like the last chance you before last chance you was a thing. You had a guy following you around. But did you ever tell anything to Woj that didn't make it in the book? Um, well, uh, I don't think so. If you, I mean, if there's anything you would want people to take away from the book, or if you could add anything to the book, what would it be? I would honestly, I would like. Team is very like underrated when, when they talk about Coach Hurley championships teams, um, we're like the we're like at the bottom of the list, and I and I. And I think that's because, you know, if you look at the seniors of that team, they really didn't go to like a high D1 school. Um, they they went Juco route and everything. And, you know, you didn't get a NBA player out of there. So it's like that team is at the bottom of the list. We don't really get much respect as the other teams that had, you know, to be fair, like a Kyle Anderson or Tyshawn Taylor. But we could ball. We, we could play. Like, if we had to play against any of those other undefeated teams, I would go with us at any day, any given night. Because one thing we held our hat on, and it's a staple to all Coach Hurley teams, but I think that from one through five, we really could defend the basketball. I think we were really locked in. We, we were playing against, like, high-level high school players that's already being talked about going to the NBA. And we were really, like, putting them to, like, 10 points, 8 points, like, really locking them up. And we were beating teams that were better than us just because we held our head on defensively and we scored off of turning teams over. Like, we we didn't have a kid. We only had one kid, Sean McCurdy, who was really our knockdown shooter. But, like, the rest of us were urban city kids that just learned how to play basketball by playing out in the courtyard. We didn't shoot thousands of shots in our backyard. We just went to play against grown men and they taught us how to play. And I think that's the special thing about it is that, you know, Jersey City, a small city, was one of the best schools in the nation. And that was great. So when you were playing against other, well, NBA type players, the list was like Andrew Bynum, J.R. Smith, right? You played against both those guys. Yeah. What was like? What was it like guarding someone like that, playing against them? Because you know that they're being looked at by the NBA. Were they doing anything against you guys that said, "Yeah, this is why this guy is going to go to the NBA"? Um, you you can tell that they're talented, but like I said, like we really could defend. <laughs> so it's like we would take away their strengths, and like we had guys that that really would lock in, and it was like it was like a booster for us. So we're coming in, like, we're, we're excited to play. And like, the thing, one thing about people, they understand and they talk about it in New Jersey is that when the St. Anthony's team walk in the gym, like we suck the air out of the whole gym because like now like the fans and everybody's like, holy shit, like it's about to get real in here. And like right there, we're already up 10 points because mentally, Mentally, they're down. Like, mentally, your the opponent is down. Like, oh, we're about to play St. Anthony's. Like, we're really about to 
tipping off with St. Andy's and the whole, like you feel the energy in the gym just like drop. That's wild, man. So what's like the number one? Well, yeah, because I remember reading the book, like your conditioning was insane at St. Anthony's. Like uh, we had to do a drill when I was in high school. I think it was called the figure eight or basically the Yukon drill. And the first time I ever heard about that was from that book where I think you're like running baseline, getting a defensive stance, going to the next corner, sprinting down, doing it again, just like a figure eight all over the court. What was it like? I mean, in order to win Coach Bob, how did you have to win Coach Bob Hurley's respect? It's basically what I'm getting at. Um, basically, bring it every day. You know, you you have to work hard. You don't you don't have to be like the greatest player and everything. You hard work, right? If you go in, you just work hard, extremely hard. Give it your all. Be coachable, right? That's how you win his heart. That's how you win any coach's heart, honestly. You just come in and put a good days of work in, do what you're supposed to do outside of basketball. In school, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're being, a, a, you're representing St. Anthony, so you have to be a great citizen. Like, don't be out in the streets of Jersey City acting up, doing stupid stuff. Just basically work hard and be a great citizen, and you ain't have no trouble with him. Did you were you, were you able to get underneath his skin a lot as a player as a young kid? How would you do uh, that? Yeah, yeah, my sophomore year. My sophomore year was probably the worst year of my basketball career ever. You know, Why's that? A kid that um, came from the fresh, freshman level of basketball to now going to sophomore year playing varsity for a national program, I just wasn't ready. Like, I, I really wasn't ready just thinking about it. Now, the crazy thing is my first game, my first sophomore career game, I scored 27 points. And I thought, oh, wow, this is what varsity basketball is like. It's easy. I'm like, it's, it's going to be easy for me. And then I, it really, it woke me up. <laughs> it woke me up because it, I had a rough year, a rough year. What were his expectations for you as a sophomore and then going forward? Like each year, did he give you new expectations? Like this is what I expect from you as a sophomore, junior, senior? Um, yeah, my sophomore year was just basically just try to run a team as best as I could, you know, um, not not get outside of my, my zone and my area, stay within myself and be the player that I am. Um, I, he's a Hall of Fame coach, so he knew that, you know, coming from freshman basketball to now playing varsity with a tough schedule. My sophomore year, I was facing guys like Sebastian Telfit. So it was just like he knew what to expect. And I don't think I met his expectations. <laughs> Honestly, I, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad. And it's probably me being hard on myself, but it was just one of it's probably it's the worst of my career. What was like the worst thing he ever said to you as a sophomore where just, you were just like, man, was there anything he said to you where you're like, you know what? I don't need this. I can pretty much go anywhere. Was there anything he said to you where you almost left the team? So coming off a terrible game, um, I don't know. The crowd had got to me and, and I was like really rattled and I, I was – I was playing terrible and my mind wasn't there. So I just remember me just like 
constantly like crossing half the team was trapping and I was just constantly crossing half court and like wasting time out. So like because I was just like so rattled in my mind, like really like it wasn't me. I don't know who that guy was, but it wasn't me. And after the game, he just like put me in the one, like just, you know, saying that I need to be stronger with the ball. I'm, I'm too soft. And then I I wear glasses. So yeah. that whole year I wasn't wearing glasses. I was just playing with my naked eye. And I had I had goggles at home. But I didn't want to wear my goggles because like that wasn't the thing, you know, and I didn't want to be clown. And you know, you're in high school now, you walk in the halls, you're into girls. So I'm like, I'm not wearing these goggles. Telling my dad, like, I'm not wearing goggles. Like the goggles days are over. I wore it in seventh grade and I was like, that's it. And he just like goes to the assistant coach and he was like, oh, well, listen to this one. Mercer don't want to wear his goggles because it ain't cool enough. Do you believe that? And he was just, and then he was like, well, listen, if you don't wear your goggles the next game, you will not play. And I brought those goggles. I brought those goggles. I had the goggles on my face and guess what? I was getting clowned. I was getting clowned in the cafeteria. One kid had like grabbed my goggles and was like walking around during lunch duty with these big old silver goggles on. It was, it was bad. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Oh, I mean, goggles are pretty cool. I mean, I got, I don't have to wear them, thankfully, but you know, some people make them look cool. You know, now they're, now they're cool, but back then, no. No. Oh my, you almost cost yourself a career over goggles. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but so, my, not to cut you off, my whole career, I didn't wear anything, like no, no contacts. I, I was afraid to touch my eye. So I didn't wear any contacts my whole, even in college, I didn't wear anything. Mm. Well, you know, you still made it though. That's what's important. But back yeah. to Bobby Hurley, like how tough were his practices compared to playing at American? Um, They were way tougher. You know, he, 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 his mentality was make practice so hard that the games are easy, you know? So we would be going up and down. We we were in great shape, you know. He think that we're going over defense, we're going over our sets, we're competing every single day, and we're doing different drills. And it's like boom, 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 and it's like barely any water breaks. And like he's all about perfection. He know we're not going to be perfect, but he wanted us to go as hard as we can every single minute. And like our practice are like an hour and a half to two hours long. So it's like not an hour. It's like we're going an hour and a half, two hours long for the whole season. The whole season from October, well, from after Thanksgiving, November, then all the way until March. Going hard. Every practice. Merce, uh, is it better now? Yeah. <laughs> Merce, uh, yeah. at American, we watched a lot of film. We did a lot of scouting. I feel like we did it at a pretty high level, and there was a ton of it. Was it the same at St. Anthony's, or would you say it was more or less? Uh, I would say I would say it was about it was fairly the same. Um, coach was already already big on um, preparation. Yeah, he Coach Gamble. Coach Gamble would spend nights watching film, making sure our scouting report is 
top notch because you know we're we're going against national programs. So he he had to make sure that everything that he's telling us that we're ready. And so I would say it was definitely on a college level, like how Coach Jones and how uh, Coach Donahue had their sky reports. Um, going to Sandy's is really a, a college program, and it really prepared me for that next level because of, you know, how everything was structured and managed. It's def- definitely the same. So what do you take from Coach Hurley that you implement now as a coach to your players? Um, a lot of stuff that I do is, is all about – that I learned with him is about details. Um, I'm really big on details with, like, if we got to do baby steps and it might be, like, fifth-grade drills, I don't care. Because if, if you get the footwork and everything else right, then – you want to be feeling confident and then you can be able to go to the advanced stuff. Um, I'm still that old guy that likes to dive on the floor drills, box out drills, no fouls, like really get at each other. And and that's what I learned at St. Anthony's. Like we would play in a gym, like literally like a size of a box, like no room for error and like, our open gyms, we were like throw each other to the walls and everything. And Coach Hurley wasn't calling fouls or anything. And it just brought like mental toughness and physical toughness. So like that's how I am like with my guys. Like we're, we're diving on a loose ball for, for, for the ball. We're skinning our knees up. We're, we're boxing out. I don't care if you get hit with an elbow. Like you got to be tough. Why do you think he never made the jump from high school to college? Because I think he could have had success at the next level. I, he just don't want to deal with the egos of kids. At the, especially, like, he's been offered NBA jobs. And, you know, there's not really that much coaching going on at the NBA level. So he just didn't want to deal with the type of egos that he knew he would have dealt with. I got gotcha. you. Know, well, high, high school kids, we're hungry. We're trying to get somewhere and everything. So now, like, we're thirsty to, like, learn and listen. And, and he can reach them. But when you get to, like, I don't know, type of kids at, like, Kentucky, I mean, I don't think you can really reach those guys because, you know, they already made it. To them, like, not made it, like, to the NBA, but, like, they're at the highest level, playing at the highest level, and they think they're better than what they are, you know? Do you think you would have had the same success on the basketball court if you had gone somewhere else and didn't have Coach Hurley as your coach? Absolutely not. You know, my dad did a great job. He did a great job of training me and getting me, like, sending me to all the camps and putting me into, like, the right AAU teams for me to prepare for high school. Um, But if I would have went to, like, a a local school, I don't think I would – my career would be totally different. We probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. That's probably. (laughs) (laughs) So after high school, you go to American. What was the recruiting process like for you? Um, I was being recruited. I talked bad about my sophomore year, but I was actually like being looked at at like UConn and like really high level schools you know I went to the UConn camp I remember and talked to Cal uh coach Calhoun um 
but I started to my junior and senior year, I dealt with injuries and um it was like a mixture. So I was getting like biggies. I was getting like biggies um to like Mac level, NEC level. So it was like in that area. I didn't really get like ACC. Um USC, after I committed to American, USC had reached out and Marquette had reached out. And I really didn't know. I didn't really know the process of like decommitting and everything. So at that point, my parents was like, well, you already made a commitment to this school. So you might as well just stick with it. And, you know, I, that's basically what I did. You know, but the highest level was USC, um, Marquette. Penn State was in and out, like they were talking, not talking, but. Do you think like if you had gone to one of those bigger programs, you would have had your professional career would have turned out a little differently or no? Or do you think it would still go the same way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think it definitely be different. Like I say this all the time and I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. Um, the, the, the seventh man, the sixth or seventh, eighth, ninth man at like the high level programs, like, like Duke has a better chance to get into the NBA versus a mid-major kid that's averaging 25 points per game. Like they would look at like a, like a, a, a bench player at Duke or North Carolina versus looking at someone that's at like a small school averaging 20 to 25 points a game. And, especially and, back then, especially back then. Yeah. Yeah, that happened with Marvin Williams. He came off the bench at North Carolina. I mean, it was still Marvin Williams. I mean, he was like six foot nine, could play one through five or whatever. But he was, I don't think he started a game at North Carolina, but he got looked at also averaging less than 10 points per game. I see what you're saying about that. But and Lillard, those guys kind of changed the game, like right. They changed the narrative from smaller, smaller schools that CJ McCollum, CJ McCollum from the same league as us, but he's from a you know four or five years down the road. So the the game kind of changed compared to whenever Merce was first coming out. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get looked at by any NBA teams? Like, how serious were those talks? Uh, wasn't really that serious. Like my agent was saying that oh, this team was interested. Um, you know, I, I did a workout with the Nets that didn't go so well. Um, and my agent was talking to a few other teams and yeah, it really didn't get to where I would like have, it would have gone. But, um, you know, I, I think I should have did things differently in that whole process. Like, it's like, it's tough. Like people don't understand, like, First of all, your college your, your college decision, you're only 18, 19 years old, making like a, a a tough decision that's potentially going to like alter your life the next four years, whether it's good or bad. And then four years later, you're still making a, another life-changing decision. So like it's real, it's really tough. And I think like having a great support system can help that. But like a lot of a lot of kids these days, they don't really have that that support system. But what were the so what were some of the differences you would have made, like going to a different college or just the whole process to try to get to the next level? What would um, what were the differences? Yeah, I think honestly, I think I would have I would have been at USC. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have did Marquette because Dominic James went to Marquette. And I love he that was, guy. 
he was, you know, he was one of the top guards in my class, you know. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy my time at American and I appreciate everything that I accomplished and I appreciate my teammates. I love them guys. But just selfish-wise on like trying to make it to the league, trying to get to my goal, I, I would have went probably to USC and I would have had a good time with Reggie Bush and uh, Matt Leiner. <laughs> <laughs> oh man when are we all jeez that was amazing yeah. dominic james yeah, too, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to the campus of usc compared to american <laughs> university for a young um 18 to 22 year old college basketball player as well yeah yeah i think you know Man, Dominic James, so glad you brought. I was looking him up the other day. Just I don't know why, just out of curiosity. I think you could have, you know, had a chance about taking his spots. That dude only shot like twenty-seven percent from the three-point line. It was pretty bad numbers. I don't remember him being that bad of a shooter when I watched him in college. I thought he was the man. I thought he'd go play like a long time in the NBA. But yeah. looking back now, I'm like, this dude was wildly inefficient for a bas for a college basketball player but the game has changed maybe he didn't focus on that so much but after college the pro talks kind of died down a little bit i I'm, I'm assuming but you get looked at by the harlem globetrotters did you play for the harlem globetrotters no i didn't i um i i had no clue <laughs> no clue which is like crazy um so it was it was like me, Taylor Griffin, um, uh, Blake Griffin's brother, um, and it was like two other people that got drafted. And it's like basically if you don't have anything professional wise, then you can come to their you know, I didn't attend, so I didn't I didn't really get anything out of it. Why well so how come you didn't take the invitation for the Harlem Globetrotters? Well, from my understanding, it's like trickery, like circus. It's entertainment. It's like yeah, yeah, basketball that I basketball that that's not my basketball. You know, like I like I'm all about competition and and playing like real basketball. I don't want to be spinning a ball on my hands and that type of stuff. So it wasn't really interesting to me, and I I found it really weird that they were interested because. I wasn't that like crazy ball handle like the professor or like you know one of those and one guys. I I was just real efficient with my moves. It was just like a hesitation go by or a crossover go by or you know I was big on in and outs. So it was like an in and out cross. So yeah, you actually did. You actually went somewhere with the basketball versus yeah. you know yeah. I, I always try to explain that to people. And they're like, dude, but the guy is moving with the ball. I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, there are some guys that dribble <laughs> with a purpose, and there are some guys that just dribble. Like, there's there's kind of a difference. But that's what I was going to ask you, because, like, as a high-level college basketball player, going to the Harlem Globetrotters, I'm thinking, who would even really want to do that? Like, you lose – I mean, you do win, but it's not basketball. Like, so I – I already respected you before you came on the podcast. I respect you so much more for not taking the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> invitation. And like, that is no disrespect to anybody that has done it. I'm just saying like, yeah, there's something about getting a paycheck to play ball, but then there's really something about getting a paycheck to play ball. So. 
Yeah. 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 His his game was hard nosed, like like defense, not flashy. Like you know, he got things done because you get things done. So it is it's it's kind of funny that out of all the people in the country, all the players that they you know he was one of the ones they picked. You know, like so he brings up a good point with that because his game didn't what was different than that. Completely the opposite. He's way too competitive to play for the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> They didn't give you a jersey or anything. Like, how did you even find out you were being drafted by them? Um, honestly, I didn't find out until like years, years after like I graduated. <laughs> For some reason, I like Googled myself just to see like what was said about me. And it was just like drafted by the Harlem Globetrotters. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> I had no clue. Like, well, no clue. What do you think if that phone conversation comes up? Like you pick up the phone, you're like, hello, like, hey, Derek, congratulations. You've been drafted by the Harlem Globetrotters. What would you have said to them on the phone? Would you just have hung up or would you have actually entertained the call? I would have said thank you, but no thank you. I was all about at that time and, and when I was talking about decision, making decisions and picking like the right agent for you and all that. My mind was so fixated with like going to the NBA. Like, I, I honestly, with my my whole agent situation, I should have picked a different agent. You know, I was like, I was like recently reading some of the letters that I received from agents, and you know, it was one guy that I was like, man, this guy. Like now that I'm older and I'm I'm much more like wiser to like how things go and everything, and I was like, man. This would have been a this agent right here would have been a perfect fit for me in my career. Why would he have been a perfect fit versus the guy you picked? Like, was he more honest with you, or what was it? Um, he was. He first of all, he was going to send me to IMG Academy to like train, which, you know, at American, we didn't really have like the greatest skill trainers, you know. Uh, Mike Brennan was really good at it, but like I think I needed the extra, the next level type training. And um, I was basically after the season, I was basically like training myself, really. So, you know, that really wasn't good because, you know, I didn't know like the pro game. So I needed someone to like show me the pro game. Like I probably needed to add some more fancy stuff to my game maybe that had been more attractive to like the league and everything and I just needed I needed help basically and and I think when I was reading the letter that he sent me and his game plan for me um I think it was I think that's where I should have went because I would have went to IMG trained for a month and you know they had guys there you know training out of IMG Academy and getting them guys ready for like the pre-draft and everything and, you know, there was a plan of, you know, possibly going overseas. I'm a small guard, you know, uh, the NBA at the time, like the small, small guard was like fizzling out of the NBA and like all the small guards were going overseas and making money. Like LeVance Fields, we, we talked about, you mentioned him. He went to Russia, his first contract, I believe it was, I was in Finland. So like, I believe they told me his contract was like 500K his first contract coming out of college and he was in Russia. So like, 
and I was really like at that level. So that's where I probably should have. But I was just like so fixated with, with the NBA and I didn't know like what came with it, like what, like how it worked. I didn't know like the whole business side of it. And I, I, I definitely would have changed it. Like I would have did my years overseas and possibly try to, you know, give the NBA a try or the, or the, the it was the D League at that time. So the G League a try. Yeah, there's so much more avenues now for basketball players coming out of college that may have not then they may not get the recognition or you know like the you know the right scouts at their games there's so many more avenues for you guys to actually like you know get more professional get there are ways to make money i'm basically is what i'm getting at but you talk about yeah. there's no skill trainers you two are alumni maybe you should guys should throw some money so they can get some skills trainers at american you know <laughs> They're just trying to win games. That's the goal at American is to win games, not necessarily develop guys to the NBA. They're great scouting guys. Um, you know, one of our assistants is, is at Virginia now, Coach Wilford. I, it'd be interesting to know, like, what the difference is there with how they – because they are pumping guys into the league. I don't think that was a goal or something they really – that wasn't those guys' strong suits. They had strong suits, but it wasn't that probably. Yeah. I'm not just saying to yeah. the NBA, but, like, you get the right guys in where – you can help get them to the next level, whether it's Russia, Europe, Italy, you know, Australia, wherever one of these leagues are, because that ultimately boosts your program up a little bit, right? Like, I mean, you have the, you can point to these guys and say, look what we did. We helped Derek Mercer get here. We helped Bryce get here. We can do it for you as well. This is all I'm getting at. Well, now, nowadays, um, there's so many trainers in this basketball world. So, so like, when I used to come home from maybe like the summer, I didn't have anyone in Jersey City to train me. And even when, like after after college, uh, when I would come home, I was like I said, I was training myself. And the agent that I did had, he would send me all the way to like Long Island, and that's like a three hour commute for me, just to train with an NBA trainer. And then now it's late at night, and I'm getting home at one o'clock in the morning, and it was just like too much. So what I actually did was, uh, I was like, well, maybe I should start training guys. And I and like that's what I do now. Like when 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 the high school season over, I train you know guys that's in my area that comes back, you know, high school kids, college kids, just so that they have an outlet. They don't have to go all the way to New York. They could just come right here local and just work out with me and get a good workout in and. And I think with the, the whole training world, you can find a trainer anywhere. Like, and you go on Instagram, there's a trainer at every spot. So it's different now. It's totally different. It's totally like there's a lot of voices in the basketball world. So like access to a trainer nowadays is just easy. Gotcha. I gotcha. We were um, talking about this on our first episode last week and I want to kind of throw the question out to you how do you feel about college athletes now being able to get paid for their likeness I love it I, I, I think um, like college athletes go through so much 
of like trying to get there. And I, at least we should get something for it. Like, you know, we're helping the institution, the college to, you know, their first NCAA tournament. So now we know that there's money that's coming along with that. So what do the players get out of it? So like, let's just look at, you know, all of us that helped American University get there. You know, what did a Derek Mercer get? Did did he did he reach his dream goal? Did he get to the NBA? Or or what did Garrison Carr get? Did he get to the NBA? His dream goal. You know, what did Bryce Simon get out of it? Out of the deal, right? So like, if, if this is a contract, like, what are we going to get out of the deal? You know, like. How are you going to take care of us one year after college? You know, because one year after college, if you're not playing ball, it, it gets kind of rough, whether you have a degree or not. Like, you're not coming out of college and boom, you're making a hundred thousand dollars. It's like, okay, now I'm making, you know, maybe like forty thousand. But what the institution can do for you? All right, so maybe all right, every player on that team, they get. $30,000 just to help them on top of, you know, what they're making at their first job. You know, I, I just think that we put our bodies through so much just to, you know, be ready to play every, every night, be at practice, you know, get to where we want to be and to get nothing out of the deal. And I, and I think it's unfair because, you know, some of these kids, their parents are struggling. Some of them don't have a dad. They just have a mom and the mom is struggling to pay bills. And it's just like, that's the reason why these kids nowadays are rushing to go to like the overtime elite program or go to like the NBA, even though they may not be ready, but because they know their situation at home, they have to do something because they hate watching their mom struggle or they hate watching their grandma struggle or they grandf- whoever is taking care of them. So I think it's, I think it's big that kids are getting paid. I do just say to go down this report because you mentioned that you're the first American to be in the NCAA tournament. And one of the AU the year after that was the largest in school history. So I think when they want to know how to make money, like went to American, the, the freshman class was the biggest in school history the year after that. So like there was name recognition that went along with us doing what we did for the school. So that's how we made more money for the school right there. Just by winning, getting to the NCAA tournament. And, and I would say this, that the arena, it got some like uh, additions to it. Additions, some updates. <laughs> well, and, they and Mercer said, how are you going to take care of us? We, we you know, destroyed our bodies. So like, I won't get into my whole story, but I tore my knee up a bunch. When I first went to get health insurance after high school, and I had to get like personal health insurance from the employer I had, didn't, I didn't get it through them. I had to put what they call it a rider. Essentially, I didn't get health insurance on my knee because I had been through so many surgeries and everything else. They wouldn't cover it. So if something would have happened to my knee, it would have been out of pocket. So that, you know, to play into what Mercer's talking about there, like that's a firsthand account for me is I couldn't get insurance on my knee because of everything I had put it through. And that was my own choice, but still. All right. So we're getting, we're kind of coming to the close to this, of this podcast. Derek, appreciate having you on. But let's get into this one more time. The block and charge, Bryce. You got one for us this week? I do. I have a block charge today. And I'm going to go all in on the Lakers. 
vote discussion. Best player of all time. So, Merce, this is how the block charge works. This is this is my portion. You can only choose one or the other, all right? So if neither of these guys is your GOAT, Derek, you just got to pick the, the one that is between the two. So MJ or LeBron. Let's put it to rest right now in episode two, Lance and Derek. MJ or LeBron, who are you taking? You have to take one or the other. I'm going to let Derek go first. I got my answer, though. I'm taking – Michael Jordan. Um, when 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 the game is on the line, you want the guy that's going to take over the game. You know, you. I want the guy that's going to take the last shot. I want the guy that's going to be confident. I want the guy that that has great leadership skills. Even though you know he might be a little bit too hard on some players, but I want Michael Jordan. I, I want him. Uh, my my biggest issue with LeBron is he he gets comfortable he settles he he at certain points of the game you don't recognize LeBron James is on the floor like if you look at like the, the game one series of with the Suns like where was LeBron James like it was he was a no show but Michael Jordan you're gonna know he's on the floor every every game like every game there's no there's no time on the floor is like. MJ number 23 is just out there. No, he's going to impact the game some way, somehow. So my take is Michael Jordan, hands down, like he's number one, LeBron, number two. There's nothing wrong with that. If you like LeBron, pick your poison. That's cool. For Jordan, Jordan for me was, I mean, I kind of feel like he never took a playoff, you know, like he was like, he treated every game like it was like a game seven of the NBA finals. It didn't matter who his opponent was. Like I remember in the last dance documentary, he's talking about playing like some tier three French team, you know? And he's like, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to put a show on for these guys. I don't feel like you would get that with LeBron. I'm with you, Derek. Like there's been plenty of times where you can point to LeBron James and be like, dude, where is he? Where is he? Like, there are times where he'll just throw his hands up at a player and they'll shoot a shot. And I'm like, dude, Jordan wouldn't have done that. I, I've, at least I've never seen it. I don't remember Jordan. Like, he wanted to – he didn't care who you were. He wanted to get after you every game. Like, that's what he wanted. And you don't see that same type of fight in LeBron James. Like, LeBron James, I feel like he gets off more on – talent than Jordan did in a way just because like he's so physically imposing and we've never seen a guy six foot eight 250 pounds run and jump like he can and muscle his way through defense with Jordan there was just kind of like you know even though he was a very athletic player there was just he didn't have everything LeBron James did so he had to work a little bit harder to do some things on a basketball court I just feel like LeBron James he just he just kind of I don't want to say quits that's the wrong word but like he takes plays off and I feel like you didn't get that with Jordan. So that's why I would take Jordan as the GOAT basketball player of all time. He's my GOAT. Bryce, yours? Yeah, yeah. So mine is MJ. And this, this, I, I love this one because it gets brought up a lot. And I feel like, Merce, you can agree or disagree. I feel like in the group chat, we get LeBron James shoved into our face a lot um, with, with a couple guys. And so, yeah, so Merce agrees. All right, I'm, pretty, I'm glad. Yeah. I know you can't see him, but he, he's smiling and he's shaking his head, nodding his head. I've said LeBron James maybe has done it for the highest level for the longest. Like there's a, the you know, a, how long he's done it is impressive, but 
MJ's the GOAT, man. Like, MJ, of all the guys, things you guys said, and I think what happens a lot with MJ, we do the, oh, he went six for six in the finals, LeBron didn't, or whatever. There's all sorts of stats that I could r- look up and rattle off to you guys, and I won't do it, but that just that backs up Michael Jordan is the greatest as well. Like, there's finals MVPs, there's scoring records, there's playoff records, there's player efficiency rating, all of this stuff. It's not just the six for six and the intangibles. He did it with stats as well. So I think he gets LeBron in all areas other than maybe longevity. I think, though, too, when it comes to a debate or a topic like this, you can point to stats, which are fun, but I think it's more of like the eye test type of thing. You have to watch the two players individually because they both have done great things. But I look at it this way, too. Like, it's like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady to me. Tom Brady, all about winning championships. That's all he cares about. Peyton Manning, yeah, he wanted to win Super Bowls, but there was something he said where I think Tom Brady broke the record for the most passing touchdowns in the season. He's like, okay, now i got to go get it back. That was his mentality. Like, I want to be etched in the record book as many times as I possibly can. That's how I'll be remembered. And I kind of feel like that's the same thing with LeBron James. It's not just all about the championships. It's oh, I want to be the first to do this or my name will be on top of his and this is where I stand in the record book. I feel like that's what we get more with LeBron James than we did with Michael Jordan because I don't remember Michael Jordan ever saying, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to be the all-time leading scorer. I'm going to try to be this or try to be that, but I feel like we get it more with LeBron James. And that is one of the biggest differences to me is just their mentality and their approach to the game of basketball. But if anybody has any more final thoughts, go ahead. The last dance. Um, Omar Rashad, Michael Jordan, I don't know if they were with the USA team. And Omar Rashad, I don't know if you guys remember this. Omar Rashad says, hey, Mike, game is online. Who's taking the last shot? And Michael Jordan says, me, of course. That's a dumb question. And I think that that right there, right there is tells you who Michael Jordan is. Like, Everything he's putting on himself, he's confident on himself, we're going to win or die with me. So when do you lose like a little respect for LeBron James when he passes it out? Like, I think it was in Cleveland when he passed it to Danielle Marshall. It was the right play, but it was still Danielle Marshall taking the final shot versus LeBron. Does that, as bas- as hoopers like you two are, do you lose a little respect for a great player when they decide to pass off in the last seconds? All right, so I'm, I'll be like the player, I'll be the player and the coach. So like the coach making the right play, that's that's the right play. So yes, make the right play. But you also have to know your personnel too. So like, yeah, I rather him than Daniel Marshall because, it, like you said, it's Daniel Marshall. So I, like LeBron, it's the right play. But like know your personnel, know who's on the floor, what you know at that time, what you're dealing with. But as a player, it's like those instances like those moments is like that's me it's all this is my time to shine this is my time to show my guys that look i'm gonna win the game for us yeah merce brings up a great point i think even as a player merce like you would have done this too we had some late game situations in conference tournaments mercer is going to take the shot or there's probably two other guys he really trusted to take the shot if he was double teamed or something and that would have been garrison or bg but like if it's anybody else that's open in that moment, in crunch time, Mercer knows he has a better chance of making that shot, even if the other dude's wide open. Like, you 
passing me the ball in that situation. Like I'm a good shooter, but with five seconds left to go in the game, it doesn't matter how open I am. That's not me. That's not my mentality. That wasn't who I was. I didn't have the confidence to do that. We had three guys, most of probably knew who all of them were. And so that's part of it as well. Who are you passing it off to to take that shot? And pick up, I love taking the final shot if the game is on the line. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I I seriously love taking the final shot. I have no idea why or where it comes from, but there's just – what? You talk to us. Oh, no, dude. I'm, I've never been a tra- – okay, the only oh. way – I okay, me and Bryce were joking about this. Like, I got to share more pickup stories. But, no, I don't talk trash unless you talk trash to me. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's it. I remember before the shutdown happened, we, we would play every Wednesday at this uh, local elementary school. And it, it's fun. Like there's like, you know, some, like they were, they played Juco level. Maybe some guys played NAIA or division three, they'd show up. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's competitive. But I remember this dude was like, Oh, I'm going to guard him. I'm going to guard the white guy. And I'm like, cool, dude. Sweet. Like, this is my reputation is just the <laughs> random white guy at the open gym. And I remember thinking like I was sitting there, I'm holding the ball and he's like three feet off me. I'm like, bro, you gave me way too much fucking space. And I just pulled <laughs> up and drained it. And then we're running down the court and I'm like in his face. Cause I'm pissed off now just because dude, you're not even going to respect me enough to play defense. So I came back down. I'm like, no, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. They passed it to me. And I just stared him down for a second. I'm like, you haven't learned your lesson, man. You're still going to give me space. And I pulled up again. And like, that's my, version of trash talking when it comes to pickup like i can't stand like dude guard me you know like i'm, I'm gonna blow by you because i'm a pretty decent dribbler but at the end of the day respect me when i'm on the basketball floor there's nothing more that pisses me off when you don't respect me on a basketball court and yeah i didn't play high level at all like you know i had some very small colleges looking at me when i was a freshman had a handful of injuries never happened but I know what I can do on a basketball court. So just, yeah, you may look at me and think, ah, whatever, this dude can't hoop. No, I definitely can respect me. And that's it. That's my trash talk. <laughs> if that makes, yeah. But anyways, I'll get into the final portion of this. It's called what if I bring up a scenario to people. You can either agree with me or disagree with me. It's whatever. It's your thoughts. But here it is. If LeBron James never returned to Cleveland after his Miami stint, David Blatt would still be a head coach in the NBA today. So this was brought up to me recently by a client of mine. I'm a barber, so I get a lot of barbershop conversations. I try to bring them onto the podcast. Me and a, he's another hoop head. He was asking me, he's like, do you remember the guy that coached, like the, the guy that got him to the NBA finals, LeBron James first year? I'm like, yeah, dude, David Blatt. Like, and so I started going back and looking at him from his Israel days when he was a head coach. I think he was like the European coach of the year when he signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers. His offense was perfect for Kyrie Irving when they were in Cleveland. And I just remember there's a lot of motion, a lot of pick and roll. Got, everybody was touching. Everybody got to – everybody touched the ball on the offensive end. I thought it was perfect for what they were trying to do in Cleveland. LeBron James comes back. He is a great player. We know that. But he took everything away from David Blatt, and he ended up getting fired – halfway through his second year in the NBA. Do you agree with me if LeBron James never returned to Cleveland, David Blatt would still be a head coach in the NBA? Were they starting to have success before he came back? LeBron James? Oh, dude, he came no, back, David no, no, Blatt's no, no, no. here. The Cavs, the Cavs. So they had 
Kyrie Irving. He looked like he was going to be a good player. They brought in David Blatt because his offense, from what I understand, it's like it's catered towards a point guard like a scoring guard like Kyrie Irving, a guy that can control the offense. He moves without the ball, you know, and there are times where the ball is in his hands, obviously, because it's Kyrie. But that offense was just perfect for Kyrie Irving. I felt like they would have had success. They still would have been a playoff team. They probably don't get to the NBA Finals. I mean, the only two teams get there anyway. But I feel like David Blatt didn't get a fair enough shot of being an NBA head coach because LeBron James returned to Cleveland. Yeah, but my thing is, I feel like if he was that good, if that offense was that good, then he would have caught on somewhere else. You know, like, so I'll be honest, like I just pulled up his wiki page to see, and those were the only years he was in the NBA whatsoever were those years with Cleveland. So, um, yeah, maybe – I, I just feel like he would have caught on somewhere else if it was that, you know, if he was that good a coach. That, that That's my thought. Well, from what I understand, like he decided to pull himself out of the NBA coaching arena because basically like it's too player driven for his liking. But I feel like, you know, you want to, as a coach, like you guys can both attest to it. You want the best players on your team but you don't want the guys to kind of dictate how you coach, right? Like it's still your way. You're going to try to cater the offense to the strengths of your player. But LeBron James, he's essentially a coach. Like I believe his, the way he plays is like very read and react. Like as soon as a guy cuts, he makes the right pass, but an offense can't dictate when you do that. So I just feel like it was two worlds coming together. They collided at the wrong time. And I do feel like LeBron James essentially kind of ruined what David Black could have been. And I hate to say that, though, at the same time. But that offense, I felt like, would have been perfect for today's NBA. He didn't get a fair shot. You can agree or disagree all you want, but that's my take. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of asking, can a player, you know, can a player ruin an offense for you as coaches? Like, can they oh, do absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, Merce. What would you say? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think – I think it's important. Well, I know at the NBA type level, you know, it's different than like a high school level. Whereas high school, like your offense is catered around like basically your person that can can get get the offense where it needs to be, that can create for himself and create for his teammates. And, you know, and as far as like the NBA, the NBA is more like it's more like, to me, it's more like stand and watch and let one guy just do everything. And, and like, if you watch, like, the teams, like, with James Harden and everything, it's just, like, everything is focused on him. People are not really moving like that. But, like, it dep- it also depends on, like, the coach because, like, I like Brad Stevens. And, and, like, his offense is, like, more movement type stuff and Steve Kerr's is like more movement type stuff but and I think it's it, it's definitely depending on the player though but someone like LeBron James it, the offense definitely gonna change like well, it's gonna be what he wants to do essentially yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know I, I mean man I hate here's that. what I'd say Lance is uh, yes, LeBron probably ruined it. Like any chance he had when LeBron came back to Cleveland. So I guess this is, I think, what this is what you're saying. If LeBron never comes back to Cleveland, does David Black continue to get a chance to see if this offense can work? I think that's what you're saying. And to get NBA players to buy in. But 
Merce makes, makes a bring like a good point. Like I just don't think NBA players are going to be accepted of that. So I think no matter what, eventually he was going to go back overseas or like, as you listen to him, like he would have fit really good at some college levels, not, maybe not high level college, but that kind of offense would fit really well, you know, maybe not at the Kentuckys, but at a step below those high majors. So mm-hmm. I guess to, to answer your question, yes, but it, it may not have worked anyway. I, I don't see NBA players being overly uh acceptive of that okay okay yeah then i guess you're answering my question then that's all it was then so yeah maybe i was wrong lebron james is perfect you know (laughs) he didn't ruin anybody's coaching career in the nba i thought he did though because i like when i watched david blatt's offense like they were breaking i forget what youtube channel it was but they were breaking down everything he did for tel aviv and it was just really beautiful basketball and i'm thinking man you put a guy like Kyrie irving or even like a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who was drafted that year by Cleveland, you put those guys in with their ability to cut to the hoop and, you know, just get and play above the rim and everything like this would have been a really great thing, but it didn't happen with LeBron James in Cleveland. So, well, I mean, look at this. So like it didn't like Eric Spolstra, like his stint with LeBron James, it didn't mess up his career. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Ty Lue. It didn't mess up his career. Like, Ty Lue's now with the Clippers. It didn't mess it up. Um, I just think that – I just think that with the whole LeBron messing up uh, these coaches' career, I, I, I disagree with it, absolutely. Okay. So, maybe it was more of David Blatt not being, like, up with the players versus, like, hey, you're going to do my – I, I think it. it's more. I think it's more of a like a Coach Hurley situation where I told you like Coach Hurley didn't. He just he wanted to coach kids that's thirsty, that's that want to listen and stuff. And and that that could be possibly David Blatt reason. Like the NBA guys, their egos too high. They making millions of dollars. You really can't get them to buy in. It's tough to get them to buy in. And I just don't want to deal with. It. And and there's no wrong in that. All right. Okay. I got you. I got you. Well, hey, if we don't have any more final thoughts, I can end the podcast. Just want to say thank you to Derek Mercer for coming on the podcast, sharing some stories about Bobby Hurley, playing Division One, you know, and not playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. That's amazing in <laughs> itself. That's awesome. I love the reasoning, too, behind it. But, um, yeah, this is the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, Google. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a comment, give us a review, subscribe. But more importantly, tell a hoop fan. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.